This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, I'm Roshan Kanesan and you're now listening to Open for Business. Digital banking is something that's being keenly watched here in Southeast Asia. We've seen four digital banks come up in Singapore. Here in Malaysia, we're expecting a few to open their doors later this year. Now, while a lot of attention is being paid to players such as Grab, C-Limited and N Financial, another key player to watch in this region is WeLab Group. The 10-year-old Hong Kong-based fintech player made its entry into the Southeast Asian digital banking fray last year when it acquired Bank Jasa Jakarta. Uh, what does this signal about its expansion strategy for Southeast Asia? Well, we find out today with Simon Lung, founder and group CEO of WeLab Group. He's kindly joined us over the internet uh, here for On Open for Business. Aside from their plans for Southeast Asia, we'll dive into WeLab's 10-year journey, the growth across Hong Kong and mainland China, and what lies ahead for this Hong Kong unicorn, and of course, the pathway to their so uh, they're sought after IPO. Um, Simon, welcome to the show. Can you hear me loud and clear? Yes, thank you, Roshan. Thank you. And thank you, Open for Business. Um, Good to join you. Thank you for joining us. Now, WeLab was founded in 2013, Simon. It's been a 10-year journey. Over the decade, you've raised uh, $900 million or thereabouts to fund your ambitions to improve accessibility to financial services. WeLab Group is involved in lending, time deposits, digital wealth advisory, and now most prominently, digital banking. As it stands today, could you give us a snapshot of WeLab's businesses and presence across Asia? Yeah, uh, it has been a pretty busy 10 years for us, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, to say the least. Uh, right now, I mean, we, we, we are active in three major markets in Asia, Hong Kong, mainland China and Indonesia. Uh, we just announced our MOU HSBC to enter into the Malaysia market. Uh, we definitely have a, a Asia, a Pan-Asia ambition. Um, to date, um, we have, if you dissect our businesses, we have three lines of businesses. One is on uh, digital lending, uh, where we started first, we're the largest online lending platform in, in Hong Kong. Uh, and the second part is digital banks, where we run two banks, uh, WeLab Bank in Hong Kong and uh, Bank Jasa Jakarta uh, in Indonesia. And the third piece is a less well-known piece that we run, which is actually a SaaS, a enterprise business. Um, that is basically produ- providing technologies to uh, financial services and sometimes even non-financial services companies. These are mainly technologies related to uh, big data analytics, KYC, AML, that kind of stuff. Uh, and in total, we have uh, to date around 60 million users. On the enterprise side, we serve around 700 clients. Um, we're a pretty sizable company. We probably have around more than 1,000 plus employees. Uh, last year alone, we received a loan application every 3.8 seconds. So wow. that signifies a volume of uh, uh, financial transactions that we uh, process, even on the, just on the lending side. Now, that's you've very, very kindly broken it down very neatly for all of us here. Three main markets, mainland China, Hong Kong and Indonesia, although you are making your entry into Malaysia and other markets in Southeast Asia, primarily the business broken down in digital lending, digital banking and the tech uh, platform or the tech enabled side that you provide other enterprises out there, tech solutions. Um, could you illustrate to us the size of these different businesses here in terms of how much they contribute back to the WeLab group, which is the biggest business, I would presume, Digital lending uh, would be the biggest business? Yeah, the lending piece is uh, definitely the the most sizable contribution to the group, uh, given the profitability and given we've been running that uh, for the longest. Um, We started off with WeLand in Hong Kong 10 years ago, and then the mainland China lending piece started like nine years ago. 
uh, and then the uh, uh, Indonesia online lending piece started five years ago. So that that's definitely the, the longest uh, running piece. Uh, digital banking, I think we started off around 2018, uh, where we had the opportunity to apply for a digital banking license uh, from the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. I think they, they were quite uh, forward-looking. I think at that time, digital banking was still quite an early stage of development in, uh, across Asia. And and by having that license, allow us to invest early, uh, get good talents, build know-how, and hence, as we expand regionally, we had a good solid foundation and a head start. Uh, a lot of people ask us, how come we are in these three specific pieces uh, or, or business model in, in the world of financial services and fintech, right? I think that the evolution... Um, did not came by design. <laughs> it's, it's just an evolution. It's just like most businesses in, in, in life, uh, it's not by design. It just <laughs> happened that way. Um, we started off with online lending because I, prior to this, I was in banking for uh, 15 years uh, with a couple of international banks. And, and when I came back from the U.S. from a year of sabbatical, um, I was looking at how we can use technology to innovate banking. Now, that was like 2013. 2013, no one was talking about fintech in Asia. I think fintech in Asia was quite a quite a new thing, right? Um, and 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 because I just came back from a year in sabbatical, I said, okay, maybe I should try something different, try something new, right? Um, I remember one of my bosses told me at that time, he said, uh, if if uh, you just came back from a year in sabbatical, you have a choice. The choice is if you go back to your old job, you would have forgotten everything you've learned in that one year and become <laughs> your old self over again. Or you can leave the old environment and apply to a completely new area and the new skills that you've learned will become yours forever. So I obviously took the ladder, thanks to him, and started WeLab. And, and at that time, the, the lowest entry barrier was actually online lending, right? Because usually online lending has a separate license and it can apply data analytics the most effectively. So that's how I started it. And as we grow and as there was a license opportunity in Hong Kong, and also, by that time, we were a three, a five-year-old company. We found that our customers were also uh, maturing throughout the life cycle. They're getting older and older. And as they become older, they need bank accounts. They need to have uh, deposits, savings, mortgage, and wealth management. So in order to channel and funnel our customers and serve them through a longer duration, instead of, or rather instead of handing them off back to a traditional bank, uh, we need to be able to provide banking services. So that's how we started. And also around the same time, uh, with, uh, because of our scale and our speed uh, of growth, um, we have a lot of banks uh, in mainland China started noticing how we are very successful in acquiring customers where they struggle at. So they said, Simon, can we license the technology from you? You'll be white label, my brand, uh, the, the, the bank's brand. The customers will not even see WeLab um, and, uh, and, they, and they will get a fee from it. And we said to ourselves, we said, actually, that is that should be the way to grow. You think about it, right? Banks, over the years, they scale by, they won by decade, or some banks even have 100 years of experience. Yeah. Much balance sheet, many branches, many people. As a fintech company, we'll never be able to compete in that, in that arena, right? We have to compete in something else, technology, data, agility. So in order to do so, we should employ a completely new thinking. Our thinking is we shouldn't always need to use our brand. If another company, another bank wants to use our technology and use their own brand, we should be happy with that because we solve financial inclusion with technology. 
and and with their brand, maybe they can have, attract and help even more customers. So hence, we evolved into this third pillar on the enterprise side. And we've been running this um, sort of three-pillar strategy for the last five years. And I think we've seen uh, the three pillars have good synergy and also uh, it allow us a choice. And we ent- as we enter into different markets, we can choose to either go into online lending first or digital banking first or enterprise solution first, be a case to point this time in Malaysia. Now, you know, when you brought, when you t- told me about the enterprise solutions part, it reminds me a bit of Amazon and AWS, right? So while a lot of people think Amazon as an e-commerce company, a big part of its profitability came from the tech enablement it provided through AWS, through its cloud support. Do you expect a similar story here with your enterprise solutions, your white labeling solution? Uh, we, def- we definitely want want that to happen, um, and 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 I, I think because that's a sort of a younger pillar. Um, so of, of course today's contribution is not not as much, but I think over time it will grow. And over time, as we work more with uh, different enterprises, uh, this sort of core fintech enablement, this kind of strategy, uh, uh, is actually uh, uh, more receptive uh, to, to to many markets. Um, for example, I'm just answering one of the questions you talk about, right? Uh, one of the entry uh, strategy for Indonesia was digital lending and then digital banking. But as we expand to the next uh, Southeast Asian markets, we may not want to enter with that because maybe uh, digital banking is crowded or the market size may not be a good fit. Or maybe it just takes a lot of capital to buy another bank. So maybe we want to enter the market with a slightly more efficient business model, like enterprise solutions. That's very interesting uh, because um, the when we think of digital banks, uh, we think of the newer banks, the neo banks that are coming in. But in reality, it's also the incumbents at play, right? Because it's just about them digitalizing their products. They already have the banking license. Once they have a digital front, a digital face, they are already digital banks. So they are also competition in the space. Um, you've seen that and say, okay, let me provide the shovels for you to continue to ex, uh, to expand in this space while I look at markets where it's big enough for multiple players. Um, so that's quite interesting. And we'll dive into that a little further, uh, a little more later on, Simon. Before we go into a few messages, though, I want to just get it, your thoughts into uh, about why you decided to jump into fintech, right? Because you were a banker for 15 years, you mentioned, um, and you had your sabbatical and you came back and you had those two choices to make, whether you're going to stick with it or were you going to go to uh, try something else. Um, what was it about the sabbatical that kind of spurred this decision to like, okay, I want to do something on my own? <laughs> yeah, there's that always a, it's a quite an expected story. I mean, if you ask me, I would never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. If you ask me when I first started my career in banking, I thought I'd be a banker <laughs> for my whole life. Uh, not as an aspiration, but more a lack of choice, right? <laughs> well, it was uh, it was quite funny at that time. Um, it was my uh, my girlfriend, now wife, uh, same girl. Uh, uh, she went to the U.S. for uh, two years MBA, and I didn't want to be away from her for two years. So I said, okay, in your second year, I'll join you. And I, I got a, 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 we went to Stanford. There was a one-year full-time degree that I did. And uh, during that, I learned a lot about entrepreneurship. Actually, I think at that time, I picked some courses in entrepreneurship because exactly of the fact that I thought I'll never be an entrepreneur. So I thought, <laughs> oh, man, this year, she's not something that I normally wouldn't study. Right, you, you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go back to study uh, finance and, and modeling. Right during, <laughs> during those that, that year sabbatical. Right? It's exactly that that uh, that year that I, I got exposed a lot to entrepreneurship and and to discover that actually there is a methodology, formula, 
and uh, to how to uh, increase the probability of success. Let's put it entrepreneurship startup is a very high probability of failure. But actually, actually, there are ways to do it that can increase the probability of success. And and that was that, that that got me sort of got me started. And when I came back, back those ideas stuck with me. Uh, the original plan was uh, so I got married in the U.S. and came back. Um, uh, my my wife will go into uh, do a startup. I'll go back to banking, and sort of for, for many different reasons, we sort of swapped. <laughs> so she she she's looking for someone, and I went into entrepreneurship and started We Love, and and that journey is uh, lasted for the last ten years so far and going. <laughs> Simon, we've got to go into a few messages, but we'll be back in just a bit. So don't go anywhere, folks. I've been speaking with Simon Lung, founder and group CEO of Hong Kong-based fintech player WeLab Group. The company has its hands in digital lending, digital banking and enterprise solutions. I'm Roshan Kanesan. This is Open for Business. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Brewing frothy mocha. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan and this morning I've been speaking with Simon Lung, founder and group CEO of Hong Kong-based fintech player WeLab Group. The company has its hands in digital banking, digital lending and enterprise solutions for to enable other banks to jump into digital banking. Simon, earlier we got a bit of the lay of the land for the evolution over the last 10 years. Now, WeLab was the first homegrown startup to in Hong Kong to get its banking license back in 2019 and officially opened its virtual doors in July 2020. As of 2022 uh, numbers, KPMG notes that all the Hong Kong DG banks were making losses, and that's not an unfamiliar scene across other DG banks as well. How concerned should we be about this? Uh, does it indicate that the initial optimism around digital banking was a bit um, overhyped, or is it just too early to tell at this point? Mm. I think I think it's true. I think if you look, uh, uh, if you survey around the, the globe, right, um, I would say ninety percent plus of digital banks are still in the loss making. Um, now, but if we narrow it back to let's say Asia, right? Uh, I, I think I think it's a combination of a couple of reasons. Um, um, we we run two digital banks in Asia. Uh, even for the first one that we had, which is WeLab Bank, it is a three year old baby. Mm-hmm. A three year old baby, a three year old company uh, is it, it, loss making. Any company they start, if you can break even in three to five years, I would call it pretty lucky. Pretty successful. <laughs> you probably got pretty successful. Or the scale is tiny. Okay, <laughs> one of them. Um, uh, and so, so especially for if you launch a bank, there are certain or pretty uh, higher than normal fixed costs that is required for compliance, anti-money laundering, technology. The standard is sort of higher when you're take, taking someone else's deposits. So naturally, uh, taking a little bit longer than expected. I would say three or five years is not longer than expected. By the way, uh, it's normal. I think that's number one. Number two is we need, need to understand the industry itself. The industry itself in many markets, um, people, I mean, digital banks are learning. They are learning, evolving the strategy over time. And and we are sort of doing that as well, right? I mean, I can share with you, with you an example, right? For markets that we we, we operate in, let's say a market like a Hong Kong or similar markets, like even a Singapore, Taiwan, maybe to a, to a certain extent, uh, Malaysia as well. These are higher GDP per capita kind of markets, 
Um, these are markets with a sort of a slightly smaller population, um, overbanked. Everyone has a couple of bank accounts. The digital bank strategy should be very different from a digital bank strategy in a market like Indonesia or mainland China. Okay, I think number one is I think players have to realize that the strategy has to be different. For example, for a smaller market, that the first category that we talk about, which 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 is where Hong Kong lies, right? I don't think the strategy is about financial inclusion where everyone you open up and it is about financial inclusion, but not so much where you help each of your customers in these smaller markets to have the third or fourth or fifth bank account. Everyone has a couple of bank accounts already. They don't need an extra one. Having an extra one would not make you money. It is actually about being able to identify specific banking products as profitable and we do it better and more innovative mm. than traditional bank. For example, you will look at the traditional suite of products, right? From payment, um, from deposits, from lending to wealth management and ethics and all these things, right? There are only a few products that is profitable. Digital banks should focus on being really good at these products. Hence, in Hong Kong, and to extend, we do it in other markets as well. We focus on online lending. We co-focus on online wealth management. These are products with clear uh, revenue model and also um, you can innovate with a better digital experience. Versus in a larger market, let's say Indonesia, our Indonesia strategy is slightly different. Indonesia has a massive population and most of the young customers don't even have their first bank account. They only have their first digital wallet or digital payment. They don't have a first bank account. And the strategy in these markets, a larger population market, is to help, is, to, is penetration, have mm. help more people open up their very first bank account. These young people, as you learn over time, right, they cannot live and survive on a digital wallet forever. Even the local government and regulators realize that they need to graduate from a digital wallet to a digital bank account, to a bank account where they're safe, they get paid deposits, interest, they can borrow money, they can finance the next car, mortgages, and stuff like that. That is the, the, the objective of a bank, not a digital wallet. So people need to move towards that. And when when these in these markets, the, the, while the first uh, relationship is a, is a digital wallet, when they need to open up a bank account, they're not going to be happy queuing in a branch. They want to have a digital bank. Graduate from a digital wallet to a digital bank, not graduate from a digital wallet to a physical <laughs> bank branch. <laughs> branch, right? You can't go back. Yeah. So that's why, that's why in different markets there there can be different strategy where you enter and hence achieve a, a, a path to profitability. I think inevitably, given where we are in the economy, COVID, everything, I think things was things would not be as uh, rosy and efficient as what we had thought originally. I, th I think it will take a few years. I think it will take a little bit of time for people to realize what strategy they should run in different markets. And I think they, they people will realize that they have to focus on certain products that makes money. Um, At the end of the day, banks have to make money. So Simon, on that note, um, with regards to WeLab, right? So you've got three pillars that you can utilize in terms of your expansion, uh, digital banking, digital lending, and enterprise solutions where you power other players. So like in Malaysia, you are partnering with HSBC and helping them with the tech solution part of the equation. How do you make the decision between uh, a market to uh, build, a, build or buy a bank, a market to go in with uh, a we lending uh, situation where it's uh, not necessarily a bank, but you're still providing lending products and a situation where you just provide the support services like enterprise solutions? Mm. It's a good question. And, it, it, and the answer will vary over time. Over time, both 
uh, economic cycle and also the stage of our company. Um, I think we just came out from, I mean, the whole world just came out from COVID last year or earlier this year, um, more last year. Uh, and and, uh, and, and we, we, we're we quite bank charge of Jakarta. The whole team is busy making the Indonesia Digital Bank launch a success. And yet we still have our eyes in the rest of the ASEAN countries. We still want to participate in the growth. Um, but chances are, I think if you ask me our from the resources, our investment appetite and the capital market kind of perspective, whether we have the appetite to buy or start another bank in a second ASEAN market, I think will be quite difficult at this stage because we want to make the Indonesia market a great success. So a way for us to expand uh, is actually to do, to enter in and to learn, start learning about these markets with partners, with good friends, um, through a sort of lighter touch, that kind of entry model, which is uh, uh, enterprise solution. Now, these allow us to learn, um, allow us to get to know the market, get to know the lay of the land, um, and and we can come back and decide in a few years' time uh, whether we want to increase our investments in certain markets after we learn about them more carefully. So it's not necessarily a situation where if you've entered a market through your enterprise solution that you're not going to come in later on through a digital bank or digital lending solution. Uh, it, it, it would not be, it's not absolute. I mean, if we look historically, um, of the three pillars, uh, most of our markets have at least two of the three pillars. Because once you want, once you enter with the first pillar, the the uh, entry, well, the, the, the hurdle for you to, to expand to a second pillar is not very high. Um, so mm. we, we sort of tend to invest in a particular market for longer. And it's also the nature of the business as well. I mean, uh, we're not right hailing, right? Right hailing, you talk about you have to cover as many markets as sh- a short time as possible. In financial services, there's deep knowledge and know-how in a particular market. And, and there, there's more synergy if you expand uh, from pillar one to pillar two rather than going jumping from country to country. Simon, we've got to go into the 10 30 News Bulletin, but we will be back in just a bit to talk about your Southeast Asian expansion. I've been speaking with Simon Lung, founder and group CEO of Hong Kong-based fintech player Relab Group. The company has its hands in digital lending, digital banking and enterprise solutions to help conventional banks power their digital banking solutions. I'm Roshan Kanesan. We're going into the 10 30 News Bulletin. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Better Finance Management, BFM 89.9. Hey folks, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kandison and this morning I've been speaking with Simon Lung, founder and group CEO of Hong Kong-based fintech player WeLab Group. The company has its hands in digital lending, digital banking and enterprise solutions for other banking players. So, Simon, we alluded to this earlier. Um, WeLab Group has entered the Southeast Asian market. Uh, WeLab completed its acquisition of Indonesia's BJJ or Bank Jasa Jakarta alongside Astra International last September. I think the total sum of this acquisition was around $509 million USD. Uh, This was done in two stages with the initial controlling stake acquired in December 2021 and then the rest of it completed last year in September. With this acquisition, do you expect BJJ to be the avenue for your continued Southeast Asian expansion or in areas where you want to have a bank, uh, a direct banking presence as opposed to sort of just providing enterprise solutions, will you be looking at more local banks to either build or acquire? Mm. Uh, the BCG acquisition, obviously, we're very happy with that acquisition. It's it's, it's, it's very timely. Uh, I think we got it done at, at a point where the market is it's, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is it, it, it will be an Indonesian-focused uh, bank. 
for now. I, I don't think we have a aspiration to move it into uh, uh, the rest of Southeast Asia. Uh, but I think uh, ASEAN country it's a very important strategic market to us. To us, and we realize that of course uh, ASEAN countries, every single one of them is unique in their own ways. Uh, regulations, m- m- currency. Uh, languages, culture is very, very different. And yet it is also markets that uh, we should be expanding into, uh, given we already have the ability to replicate in multiple markets, right? For for us in Hong Kong, look at look at ASEAN countries, it's the second largest trading partner for us, uh, 5%, 5% year-on-year growth in between the commerce between Hong Kong and, and ASEAN in the last five years. And and, and of course, in the sector that we're in, which, which is digital financial services, uh, we estimate there will be around 38 billion US of revenue pool uh, for the whole market by 2025, which is around like 11, uh, 11 to, to, to 15% of the whole financial services revenue. So there's a it's, it's, it's up and coming, it's growing, uh, lots of opportunities, and, and we, we want to do more in Southeast Asia. Now, you've got some strong competition in the digital banking space. Um, if we look back at the Hong Kong uh, landscape, uh, you've got other players backed by Xiaomi, Standard Chartered, and Group, and Ping An. Um, WeLab ranks it's, uh, somewhere in the middle of the pack when it comes to deposits and loan sizes. Uh, but then again, you also have this enterprise solutions avenue for yourself as well. Um, overall, when it comes to your digital banking entries, the pure play digital banking entries, how does WeLab see itself distinguishing itself from competition, whether it is Hong- in Hong Kong or from the other players in Southeast Asia, like your Grabs, like your Boos uh, and Gotos? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think um, digital banking will always be a uh, competitive space given the popularity, uh, and and it, it, it is a digital bank. It's 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 a big boys game because you need capital, you need to have a strong backing, and else uh, you not will not be able to compete with very large players, right? Um, for us in Hong Kong, um, uh, the first example, uh, I think our our strength comes from the WeLab Bank in Hong Kong, and also we have WeLand. The two combined, we actually run it together. We call it WeLab Hong Kong uh, as a group. The two combined, uh, it's very, very strong. In fact, I've, I would say the two combined is much stronger than the rest of the digital banks combined. The two combined have a penetration. Now, if you look at um, uh, our target market, which we call tech-savvy young adults, let's say 18 to 40 years old, and most of them is tech-savvy. <laughs> um, if you look at that segment, uh, we have a penetration of our one in four Tech-savvy young adults in Hong Kong is our clients today. Okay, so so we have a very good market penetration in terms of digital lending. Our, our brands are very very successful. Uh, we did a survey last year of external uh, or uh, the once again tech-savvy young adult base on brand recall. Meaning, if you need to borrow money, if you would like to borrow money, which which brand? It can be a bank, it can be an online lending platform. Where would you want to go? Um, the WeLab brands in Hong Kong account for eighty nine percent. Of brand recalls, meaning one nine in ten people, if you ask in Hong Kong, tax savvy young adults, if they want to borrow money, they'll go to either one of our brands, which is one of the largest. And within which we have also discovered uh, through this, maybe because we are a more agile company, a, a fintech enabled strategy that allow us to partner with people and grow with our partners. For example, in Hong Kong, we have very strong partners like Apple, like Tesla. Um, Apple in Hong Kong has a uh, subscribe plus for Apple products, which, which is if you go to a Apple reseller, a- Apple has multiple resellers in a single market, right? Um, they have uh, their own subscription program, which basically 
uh, will be factory buyback or iPhone, let's say iPhone 14, they will buy back at 30% residual value after two years, but you can deduct the 30% residual value now. So meaning everyone buys an iPhone at 70% mm. and you get all the interest-free uh, installment. It's Apple program. And we're the only uh, financial service provider behind that. So that gave us very good access to Apple base and served them well and also became our customers. Um, and Tesla. Tesla is a, the most popular electrical yeah. in Hong Kong. Um, we are the largest financer of Teslas in Hong Kong as well, close to uh, six, uh, two in three Teslas in Hong Kong are financed by us. Right? So that allowed us a very unique way to penetrate into the tech-savvy young adult base. Um, not so much directly say open up a bank account or get your loan, but more lifestyle. Right? Imagine if you want to find tech-savvy young adults as so your customer, you can't go to social media and say tech-savvy young adults. Please click here. <laughs> doesn't work like that, right? You need to think about the, a tech-savvy young adult in Hong Kong. They want to drive a Tesla. They want to buy Apple phone. <laughs> yeah, so you've got to look at it from the consumer behavior perspective and then target those areas with partnerships. Exactly. And you need to find a good, right partner, right? Um, so we do that, and, and it, it works out extremely well for us. And in terms of uh, Indonesia, we have strong partners as well. Uh, Astra, which is one of the largest local conglomerate. We have another uh, partner that will announce soon that will, that will partner with us. I think the two combined can give us access of hopefully close to, I don't know, 30 to 50% of the Indonesian population. So a partnership strategy is extremely helpful, right? Working with partners. Um, I, I would say for our contribution in this is just being very efficient and savvy in coming up with the user experience and the financial product digitally that help us to grow the bank and also serve our partners' customer base. I think that is a, a very good mix of both organic and inorganic strategy that allow us to grow. So there's a very early recognition here of what you can and what you may be, what you can and what you may not be able as good to do as someone else can do, whether it's the access to the the end user, for example, where your strength lies in the tech side of things, the efficiency and the productivity gains uh, in banking and in, in not just banking but lending as well. Uh, Simon, you made uh, a point earlier to talk about the group overall, right? So in Hong Kong, when you talk about lending and digital banking together, your market penetration is much larger. Um, Give us now. Some people may be a bit confused between what's the difference between digital banking and digital lending, right? And why isn't lending part of digital banking parked under there? Give us a, a little bit of a primer as to what's the difference between these two. Mm-hmm. Digital lending is it's a different license in Hong Kong. It's a money lending license that allows to do only lending business, um, and we serve uh, a, a, a broad spectrum of customers, but only on lending. So the proposition for our WeLand, the online lending platform, is cheaper and faster. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is what we've been going out with, and it's very, very efficient. So, when you talk about cheaper and faster, um, do I have understand this correctly? In the sense that you can't raise deposits to fund those uh, those loans, which means right. that your cost of funds is higher. It will be slightly higher than deposit taking. That's right. Now, where's the bank? Actually, it's a full flash bank. So, for us, it's a full flash banking license that we offer both deposit lending and wealth management. So when we acquire customers on the digital banking side, it's more about a full banking service for young people rather than just serving a particular online lending kind of perspective. And what we discover is uh, when we have both brands, even though both brands do online lending, but we have both brands going out, the, uh, the, the brand actually has synergy. When you see one brand, you remember the other one and vice versa. So it actually helps each other. If we look at pre and post of our market share in Hong Kong before, 
we only have free land or online lending platform, and now we have both. Our market share doubled during those couple of years pre and post because people see us more. The brand is better, uh, and we go to the market with a slightly uh, different proposition. Um, so there's no cannibalization at all. Looking at the Southeast Asian region and even uh, the Hong Kong market, uh, Simon, how many digital banking players do you think these markets have space for? Because right? I know you've said before, I think you told Forbes when you in an interview last year that this is not an, a winner-takes-all industry. Um, but I think like a lot of more mature banking scenes, end of the day, it becomes maybe three, four uh, big banking players per market. Do you see consolidation in the near future for digital banking and how much room is there in this space? Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, we, we see a lot of players in this space um, in each market. Uh, I think number one is given uh, the retail focus, retail and SME focus on these, right? Um, I think um, each market can be considered independently, meaning there's not a lot of cross-border kind of benefits in having two banks, right? Um, I think each market, three to four digital banks, it's quite crowded already, given they are already traditional banks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anything more than that will be, will be struggling. also depends on uh, uh, the, the, the scale of the market. Now, having said that, would they consolidate? What will happen to that? I think in the long run, uh, commercially, people will figure out what they need to do. In the short run, because of how licenses are being given, which is uh, usually given to a very strong uh, parent, um, they have a, a very... Uh, large capability to absorb losses in the short term, right? Uh, that, that, that's what we've seen globally, right? When you give, I mean, for them, it's just a new line of business. As long as it's not like burning a massive hole in a pocket, they just continue to grow it. Hopefully one day it'll break even. But I think over a longer period of time, people realize, okay, this is not working. Got to pivot. We'll figure out what to do with it. And I, I, I think that's that's most, like, most likely going to happen. Um, but I think three to four, it's it's a pretty good number, if you ask me today. So I'm going to go a few more questions for you, but we've got to jump into another break. We'll be back in just a bit. Folks, I've been speaking with Simon Lung, founder and group CEO of Hong Kong-based fintech player WeLab Group. I'm Roshan Kanderson. You've been listening to Open for Business. We'll be back in just a bit. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Business-filled minds, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanderson, and this morning I've been speaking with Simon Lung, founder and group CEO of Hong Kong-based fintech player WeLab Group. The company has its hands in digital lending, digital banking, as well as enterprise solutions. Simon, um, I think the overall uh, ambition for you when you started this was financial inclusion, financial accessibility, and you entered through lending because it was the most obvious way for you to enter at that point in time. now you've got digital lending, your digital banking, you're also supporting other banks in their digitalization and digital banking ventures. Um, are there any non-digital bank, digital lending uh, enterprise solutions uh, ventures that you're looking at? Uh, no, uh, robo-advisors are a very hot topic. Um, there are also other other areas of digital financial services that are, are catching attention. Um, do, you, do you see anything that attracts your attention or is the digital bank your main avenue going forward? Mm. I think uh, the robo-advisor, the digital wealth piece is a very important piece that we started two years ago. Uh, we launched it together with one of our investors, Allianz, in Hong Kong. Um, the first version was a goal-based investment. And that is a very important piece to help and educate uh, 
young people to save and invest. Uh, very much aligned with our financial inclusion, that kind of objective, right? You think about it, especially, this is especially bad during COVID, right? Um, you look at young people, how do they learn or where do they learn how to invest? It is through social media. <laughs> okay, their friend, they make a good bet on a cryptocurrency or a Tesla stock, they buy there and, 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 and they lose a lot of money last year, right? Yeah. Uh, but that, that is not a very sustainable way of making money or learning how to invest. Because if you look at social media, people only tell you they're winning bets. People will never share with you how much they've lost because that's, that wouldn't generate a lot of clicks. Right? Um, but I think young people need to realize a couple of things, right? Uh, and what we did with goal-based investment is exactly to do that, which is basically setting a financial goal and every month setting aside some money and we invest into a diversified set of funds for you based on your risk appetite. Now, what they learn is a couple of things. Right? I think number one is diversification. Um, you cannot just buy one single stock or one single asset. You can have play money that at most just put 5% of your wealth in play money. The rest should be well diversified over asset classes, geography, and everything. I think so the first thing they need to learn is diversification. Now, diversification is difficult as well. If you only have very little amount, you can't just have like one out of five things. So funds is actually very good. The second thing is, right, you can never time the market. You can, everyone knows that they need to buy high, buy low and sell high, but everyone does the other way around. Right? <laughs> everyone does the other way around, right? You cannot time the market, but you need to learn it is actually the time in the market yeah. that helps you to make money. You have to consistently invest over time that is what makes you money. Rather than timing the market saying, I'm going to buy this because this is the lowest point and I'll sell at the highest point. It will never happen. In fact, you always sell at the lowest point because you panic. Right. So RoboAdvisor and what we did specifically, goal-based investment, is exactly that, to help people to diversify and also time in the market. The second version of that that we did was earlier this year, which is basically theme-based investment. Allow young people to engage with a specific sector. For example, they like AI or ESG, we find the best funds in these sectors and then you can pick so that when you relate to that more, you would be more engaging, right? So we did, we're we doing a lot of that on the investment side. The Web3 is also something that Hong Kong government is pushing a lot. Um, we're constantly studying it, uh, all, all the things we can do with it. Uh, but I, I also feel that that is also an aspect, an area that uh, we, we can invest some time. Now, uh, WeLab became a unicorn in 2017 following a $220 million funding round and more recent news reports have pointed towards a $2 billion valuation, although uh, spokespeople from uh, WeLab have uh, come out to refute that, of course. I think there's been no comment on uh, since uh, in terms of valuation since 2017. Now, that said, all that aside, valuation is one thing, Simon, uh, but could you give us a sense for WeLab Group's overall revenue generation and growth rate over the last few years? Mm. Um, I, we is growing well. I think I think we're quite happy with the growth, uh, despite the fact that uh, uh, there's COVID. Of course, uh, the world has turned upside down. Um, if, you, if we look at, let's say, a year-on-year growth, we just finished uh, the first half of 2023. Uh, long, long portfolio grew by 20% year-on-year, despite of a difficult year. And our assets, total asset group increased by 10%. So we're quite happy with the growth. Um, also, during the same period, um, uh, we just won the virtual bank of the year by Asian banking and finance. So we're quite re- well recognized by the, the industry as well. Um, and uh, as the headwind for the economic, for the economy is, I would say that we see less headwind now than six months ago. COVID is over. 
as if it never happened. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and even though we are still in a high interest rate environment, I think the expectation or the perception of high interest rate or how high interest rate will be, it's a, it's a lot more clear. So I, I think a lot of these uh, headwinds are over. Um, so we're quite uh, bullish about the second half of the year. We think that we should be, it's a good time to start reinvesting, to increase our portfolio, our profitability, uh, take it to the next level. And where there's a market opportunity, we should always uh, take advantage of it. Simon, what's the pathway to profitability for WeLab Group and what will drive that profitability? Mm. Of the different, I think if you count the like, different segments of the market, uh, uh, we are actually profitable uh, in most of the segments. The only segment that we are still investing money is the the two, two three year old baby <laughs> that we are still uh, we're still uh, nursing, uh, which is the the bank in Hong Kong. I I I think we'll be able to to reach profitability in a couple of years time as well. So I think we we we, we don't worry about the profitability. I think I think we're, we're quite fortunate given that uh, the first few pillars. On the online lending side, it's 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 a it's a highly profitable business, and we have achieved scale uh, since two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, lending is one of those key areas, I think, for prof- for margins and profitability for a lot of the financial services providers. I think most of the annual reports we see from Bain and Company, along with Temasek and Google, point towards that being one of those key areas of uh, to support a larger venture. Where else, places like Robo Advisory generally have much thinner margins overall. Right. Um, so basically, the only thing that's still in the red at this point is the three-year-old uh, banking business, which you expect to uh, within the next few years to also see yep. that go into the green. Um, in November 2022, sources told Bloomberg that WeLab was looking to raise 200 to 250 million dollars in a new round. Um, this, of course, I think was in relation to Asian Asia Pacific expansion plans. Um, what can you tell us about your? Uh, fundraising activities over the last two years and the utilization of those funds? Mm. Um, we, we, we continue, I think, I think, especially in this particular moment, as we alluded to earlier, where the COVID uh, economic, uh, macroeconomic trend and interest rate headwinds are pretty much clear. I wouldn't say over, but at least we, 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 there's more certainty of where we're heading. Um, we are looking at expanding uh, through organics in, you know, in organic means. Um, so um, we're constantly looking out to see whether there are opportunities in the market to grow. Um, and uh, I think we're quite fortunate that uh, historically we've been backed by uh, very good shareholders who believe in us, uh, including uh, the Malaysian Sovereign Fund, Kasana, is a very good and a long-time investors of ours, which we're very, very happy with. Um, and uh, so, so we, we, feel, we feel pretty confident about where we're going and our investors feel pretty confident where we are heading as well. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of chatter around when WeLab will have its IPO. I think over the last, at least once a year, there'll be some article that's coming out. Sources told Bloomberg or sources told Reuters or something along those lines. What can you tell us about the appetite to uh, list WeLab and uh, exit that way? Uh, you know, what's the communication been like with uh, your key shareholders, including, as you mentioned, Kazana, which was an early investor in WeLab, uh, I think Series A or B, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the conversations that are going on behind the scenes and the timeline to a potential IPO. Yes, uh, <laughs> we, we, we see that uh, news report uh, once a year at least. Uh, and and I, I think it's reasonable to expect a company reach, reach our scale and, and, and years of track record that people would, would speculate when we are going to pull the trigger. I think for us, 
we've always said we're open-minded. Uh, we've always said we're open-minded. I think we don't see IPO as the end. We see IPO as just part of the journey because you still need to run the company after you've gone listed, in fact, yeah. in a more vigorous way. Um, and for us, right, it's more it's more about the market window. I think it's more about the market window. Um, we we felt the market window or the market was a bit volatile in the last couple of years. So I, I think we're just monitoring the right market window uh, to see uh, if we should do something more. Um, it's more that. All right, Simon, to wrap up this conversation, um, what are the key goals uh, for WeLab Group in the next five years? What are the key ambitions that you are holding for yourself? Mm-hmm. I think uh, if we look, 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 look forward to, to the next five years, I think there are a couple of things. I think we do want to increase our penetration to uh, Southeast Asia, Asian countries. Uh, we feel that there's a lot of opportunities in the likes of where we are right now, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, these are markets that have a lot of opportunities we want to do more um and we hope that uh with what we're doing with uh hsbc starting with malaysia it, it can expand regionally to, to, to that allow us to to work together in multiple and more markets right um we feel that uh we feel that we, we feel quite positive about the economy uh we feel that it will it, it, there's only one way to go uh, and uh, we feel that we, we should invest more in, 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 in at least in the next couple of uh, years uh, in terms of increasing the scale. Um, I, I am still quite excited about digital banking as an opportunity. Um, having said that, if you ask me right now, if, do I have a second target to acquire a bank in a next ASEAN countries? I'll say not yet, uh, because given where we are, uh, but I, I think we'll do more. I think the aspiration is definitely to build this and more and more into a Panasia fintech company, which is quite uh, unique and rare for uh, for a fintech company. If you look at most fintech companies, are quite domestic, quite mm-hmm. local. There's only a few that are not, uh, being able to do so, um, and especially for an independent one, right? Which, for example, we're not part of a a, a, a e-commerce financial or financial group or something, yeah, or financial group. I think, and and there's a lot of value being able being as an independent company. More people will work with us. Being able and being an independent fintech company, right? So we see that the focus will continue to shift to Southeast Asia in the next five years. Simon, on that note, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Roshan. Thank you very much. Folks, I was speaking with Simon Lung, founder and group CEO of Hong Kong-based fintech player WeLab Group. The group has its hands in digital banking, digital lending, as well as enterprise solutions. I'm Roshan Kennison. You've been listening to Open for Business here on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.